the vision of what your life was going to be like at NASA and then what it becomes in my 30s, then now all of a sudden this kind of comes down, this NASA vision and the dream of what you think you were going to live comes out. And then this whole, this voice of entrepreneurship, now it starts crippling back up. Right. And then there comes a balance point, then uh, one kind of suppresses the other. And for me, what it boiled down to was, I can't do this for another 30, 35 years. I can't go to this same meeting every Monday morning anymore. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Furzan Jaker. She is the founder of Olive and Loom and Kin and Care, a DC-based business specializing in Turkish goods ranging from candles to handmade towels. She is a former NASA scientist. Yes, she worked for, you know, the NASA, who turned her technical background into a career as a retail store owner and wholesaler, providing job opportunities for refugee women in the state of Maryland. She started her business in 2016 and has been coming out with new collections ever since. Farzan is so inspiring. The fact that she left, you know, this career that so many people would think is just a dream opportunity to work for NASA, but to pursue something that had greater meaning and greater purpose in her life. You are going to love this conversation. But before I get to my chat with Farzan, I wanted to thank one of our partners of the show, and that is Mama Suds. How much time do you spend reading labels? A lot, right? Well, Mama Suds would like to help you take the stress of research out of your life with their truly safe, non-toxic household cleaning collection. They have everything you need to keep your family and your home clean and safe. I use everything from their laundry soap to their Castile soap to the household cleaner. She has so many incredible products and I love knowing that everything is made with plants and minerals and absolutely nothing synthetic. The head mama at Mama Suds, Michelle Smith, who's actually been on the show before, has spent a crazy amount of time tracking down exceptional ingredients so they're not only safe for you and your family, but sustainable for the planet. Mama Suds wants to inspire you to live a smart, healthy, and sustainable life that brings you joy and peace of mind. You can try them out at mamasuds.com and use the coupon code MOLLY for 15% off your order. Now onto my conversation with Furzan. Furzan, welcome to the show. I'm so thankful to have you. How are you today? Thanks, Molly. I'm I'm so happy to be here. I'm doing well. How about you? I am fantastic and so excited to connect with you. So, you know, your retail shop, Olive and Loom, actually happens to be not too far from um, where I grew up. I grew up in uh, Northern Virginia in Fairfax County. Oh, nice. And yeah, so, I mean, with traffic, it's like 75 hours away from... That's right. <laughs> and if it snows, it's like three days. Yes. But uh, like, but as the crow flies, it's like very close. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so I'm just really excited to uh, learn more about you. And you have such an incredibly interesting backstory, having worked as a NASA scientist, which, uh, by the way, I told my daughter, who is very into space, she's like, 
all about space. Um, so we are recording this just a few days after that, uh, Chinese rocket was like coming back to earth. And my daughter was just like glued to the news, wanting to know what was going to happen because she's so fascinated with space and all that kind of stuff. So I told her that I was going to be talking to somebody who used to work at NASA. And she was like, what? Like just mind blown. How old is she? She is seven. That's perfect age. Yeah. She loves, loves, loves space. Getting into science at this age, I think for girls especially, it's amazing. She is, yeah. She's obsessed with all things science and space and engineering and all that kind of stuff. So, but she's also very creative. So I'm like, I don't know. She could go into like some kind of STEM field or maybe do something super creative. Who knows? Who knows? Okay. But without further ado, I would love for you to give us the first on 101. So tell us who you are, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Okay, awesome. So I think I could say that I'm very much like your daughter in a way that I have a very uh, quantitative uh, side to me that's very curious, very scientific. Science, math has always been my uh, interest subjects, but also very creative on the other side. So I'm born and raised in Istanbul, Turkey, moved to U.S. um, for graduate school when I was 22, right after uh, college. And I went to University of Iowa to get my master's in physics. And then I got an MBA. And then uh, I met my husband there at school. We got married. We moved to East Coast to get jobs. Um, He got a fellowship. And then I started working at NASA. And then while I'm working there, then I started discovering this more creative entrepreneurial side of me. And uh, I worked at NASA as a project manager for over eight years. Hmm. I had my son while I was working there. And this desire to do something for myself and use more creative side of me grew and grew and grew. And in 2018, uh, when I gave birth to my daughter, I decided that was the time for me to leave because it was getting to be, how do I say that? Working at NASA is such an amazing opportunity and a privilege. So I definitely don't want to say it was NASA that drove me away. (laughs) It was just my personal something inside of me that told me I just need to do something else. Mm. And I was like, I need to follow that. And having a daughter, I was like, what do I want her to know? Like, what do I want her to learn? You just stay somewhere dreaming of some other aspect of a life, or do I just go follow my dreams? And that's what she learns to be when she grows up to be a woman. So since 2018, I've been doing this full time. And that's, that's the gist of it. And the rest is history. And, you know, former scientist. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that you, you also kind of have that mix of, you know, very analytical, logical, you know, obviously science lean, but there's this creative side to you. And it's interesting how, and I don't know where, really where this comes from, but I feel like especially with ourselves, sometimes we put ourselves in these boxes of, well, I'm like, I'm just a creative, I can't do something in the more like, math and science field, or or I work at NASA, like there's no way in, you know, that I would ever be able to do something creative. And I don't know really where that stems from. I don't know if that's just something that culture has taught us that it's like, oh, well, if you do this, then you can't do this. Like if it's just these if then statements, or where that comes from. But I think we are starting to see the breakdown of those things. And we're starting to see people who maybe were in one vocation, but then had this desire 
you know, that had this this calling on their lives to kind of break out of maybe that box that they or others had kind of put themselves in. And so I think a lot of people can relate to what you said, where it's just like, you know, you were working at NASA, which is this, this you know, this world renowned thing. It's just like how many kids grow up and be like, I want to be an astronaut, you know, like, we're like, I want to work in space or something like that. You're working at this place that so many kind of aspire to, but there's this desire within you to that Mm -hmm. you were created to do something else. Um, And so I want to go back a little bit before we kind of get to what was eventually calling you away. Right. And so um, to your childhood in Istanbul, and what was it like growing up there? And were those, did you have these kind of uh, creative feelings as a child? Or was it always just kind of like you were influenced to do science and technology? What did that look like? Honest to God, I don't know. And the reason for that is the education system in Turkey, especially when I was growing up, was very much uh, revolved around major exams. Like, for example, when you're graduating from elementary school, you had to take a nationwide test that will rank you with all the fifth graders in the country that will place you in a middle and a high school. Mm. Um, So then... No pressure. No pressure at all. Like you know, imagine a ten year, you know, ten year old. I cannot imagine my kids going through that. But lots of tutors, lots of studying, and then all of that revolved around not um, creative things. It was like you know, tests, right? So then, math, science, geography, history, whatever. So then, like just studying. So then, then you get into a middle school, high school, and then you have to go through the exact same thing at the end of high school that will determine your placement in college. Mm. So if then you had to choose, differentiation was, are you more math science leaning going into college or are you more social sciences leaning, right? So then between life sciences and social sciences, I was more quantitative. So then I went into science math throughout. And then that leads you either engineering or, you know, like physics, chemistry, things like that. The answer is from like, did I like math or geography more? Yes, math. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't giving the opportunity of, do you like art more? Do you like music more? That wasn't, that wasn't really an option. Mm -hmm. So of the subjects we were taught, I was leaning more science math field with my interests and with my, you know, capabilities. And uh, I went that direction. And then, you know, you finish college. Now you're in, in Turkey, I'm finishing my BS in physics. And, um, I'm thinking, you know, what am I going to do with this, right? So I got to go get a PhD or I'm either going to be a teacher or I'm going to do, I'm going to become a scientist. Then graduate school happened. So it's like these life events kind of take over your destiny in a way, right? right? How the society or the uh, education system is set up. So then you follow through that path until you're a grown adult and now I'm making money and now I can say, okay, all the life essentials are met. The schools are finished, jobs, I have it, I'm making an income. Now you can take a breather mm. and you can be like, okay, now I got to find myself. Yeah. Well, who do I like other than math and physics? Like, so then that whole self-discovery to me, I think came later in life in my thirties uh, because of these like sequence of, of decisions that had to be made. But as as a kid, I was very into music. I was like, you know, just like aside from lessons and studies. Yeah. Like I, did, I did enjoy music and arts and theater and all of that. There, there was that creative side of me, but it wasn't enough 
to be, I'm going to go to music school. I'm going to be a musician. Like it was, it was more at a hobby level. So mostly music and acting. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed um, growing up. And then, like I said, the, the science and math part of the brain had to had to make a job for myself in that area. You said that you really began to find yourself in your 30s. And it's funny because that is a conversation I have had with quite a yeah. few friends recently um, and shared that with actually some college students I was around and just kind of talking with them about those first years. So, uh, you know, I, I do senior portrait photography on the side. And um, it's something that I've done for 12 years. I love photographing seniors. And I just I love especially like college age students. I just I don't know, because I think mentally, like I'm still in college, <laughs> even though like, yeah. I'm yeah, definitely yeah. not for sure not. But um, <laughs> but there's part of me that's like, I'm still cool. Like I was that it was not that long ago. Um, and so I was talking with some of them just about, you know, they were like, well, what advice would you give to your college self? And I was like, that's a really great question. Something I don't think I've given too much thought to. And I was just like, you know, I think those for me, those first three years out of college from age like 22 to 25 was this just there was massive life change for me. And it was almost like, like, like for real went through a quarter life crisis. And I just began questioning everything about myself and everything about what I wanted to do in life. And I just, you know, who am I? What is my purpose in the world? And then you kind of, once you begin to settle from that, then it's like the second half of your 20s, you're kind of like trying to regain your balance. And I was like, but then you get into your 30s. And I remember for so long, I was like really afraid to turn 30 because it sounded really old. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, 30's not old. Like 30's so young. It's so young. And I just now in my 30s, I related so much to what you said, where it's like, you just, you really come into who you are in your 30s in so many ways. And it's almost like, a, it's not like a second puberty, but it's like this, yeah. it's like this other phase of your life where you're just like, I know who I am. Like, right. I'm figuring this out. Like friendships are just like a little bit more genuine because they're less forced and you're just oh. kind of, you're all out of F's to give. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm just being honest, no, that's just true. be real unfiltered. That's true. So I think that there's, there's just really something to that, to what you were saying is like, cause I think that that's something that people really can relate to. I also want to add on to that with like my twenties and thirties, how the shift happened. So in my 20s, like I'm still in graduate school and they're like the ideals, like what you think workplaces. And, you know, when I was in graduate school, then I was like, I'm going to work at NASA someday. Right. Like I had that determination. I was going to do it. And I was in space physics and all that. Right. So I was very goal oriented. And I'm like, going to NASA, you have these ideals, what you think is happening at NASA. And it's just like, it's going to be mind blowing for the rest of your life. It's going to be so fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Right. So then you're working towards that goal. So then graduate. So there's a little bit of brewing of, I I want to do my own thing. I want to be an entrepreneur, you know, but it's very, very in the background here. It's like NASA and it's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. Finish, graduate, you know, then move and then get a job and then kind of start getting established. And you're like, oh, okay, this job is cool. Then you start settling into a routine and then it's on the day to day, nothing mind blowing is happening for you to quiet this 
noise anymore of I'm an entrepreneur. I want to do something. I'm create, you know, meetings. Here's this financial thing. Here is this proposal. Here's this meeting. It's not like you're every day going into space yeah. and discovering a new star. Like, so then the vision of what your life was going to be like at NASA and then what it becomes in my thirties, then now all of a sudden this kind of comes down this NASA vision and the dream of you, what you think you were going to live comes out. And then this whole, this voice of entrepreneurship, now it starts crippling back up. Right. And then there comes a balance point. Then uh, one kind of suppresses the other. And for me, what it boiled down to was, I can't do this for another 30, 35 years. Yeah. I can't go to this same meeting every Monday morning anymore. That could have been an email. It was an e- email. It was a meeting that could have been an email. <laughs> also, the, we had a meeting for hour and a half. And then I pack my uh, laptop and my notebook and I leave. And outside of the door, they're changing the plans already. Like, mm-hmm. can't, can't do it. Why? Why? Yeah. Um, but then, you know, for some people, that's a completely amazing job that they're happy going to day and day after. And that's amazing. Uh, for me, that wasn't the case anymore. Yeah. So. And so you started uh, Olive and Loom, mm-hmm. which is just this incredibly beautiful uh, Mediterranean inspired lifestyle brand. Um, you also have another brand, Kin and Care. Um can you talk about, especially with Olive and Loom, just where this kind of came from and how that then led you to start Kin and Care that really works more specifically to support refugee communities, which I so, I know is uh, something is really close to your heart. Absolutely. So Olive and Loom basically became from, started from that while I was still working at NASA, that whole desire of uh, wanting to do something on my own. And I think uh, homesickness yeah. kind of played a lot into it, right? Um, there is really not shopping for my home. Like, I, I can't find anything like I did at home. Oh, so it was, it let's was, be honest, like Turkish products. Like I actually found on Facebook Marketplace uh, when we were moving into the house we just moved into, I found this like vintage 1970s hand-loomed Turkish rug. And I felt like I won the lottery. I was like, this is the most beautiful. And it's like worn, but it's still like, it just gives it that character. I'm just like, why do they make everything so much more beautiful in Turkey than they do everywhere? It's just really for real. So, um, yes, I very much, uh, thank you. you. I appreciate it. But it was like, um, yeah. So all of them started from the desire of, you know, being homesick and wanting to bring part of home here. And uh, also, that is when I started feeling kind of unstable internally at my job of there's something else I need to be doing. Um, But I thought, you know, it's just, you know, I was a federal employee, you know, it's a very secure job, well-paying job. I had a good career path. I wasn't ready to give that up yet. And I thought that's something that I can run both things. So I started Olive and Loom in 2016 with just handloom Turkish towels. And uh, olive oil soaps. Those are the two bathroom essentials we have. And that's why it's called Olive and Loom mm-hmm. from the olive oil soaps and handloom towels. And uh, organically, it started, you know, it started getting some traction, but obviously not what I wanted because I, I was hardly spending any time on it uh, because I had a full time job. I had a, a two year old baby. So um, in 2018, I, my daughter was born and I'm like, you know what, if we're going to make anything out of this, 
I can't be doing this. Two kids, full-time job. You know, I'm, I'm married. I want to spend time with my husband yeah. and my business. Something's got to give. And I cannot, I'm, I'm not going to let all of them do them go. Yeah. NASA's got to go. So when I quit, then it was like all in, all of Endloom. We opened a retail store. We have e-commerce. We're doing wholesale and all that. So then while we're doing, when we opened the retail store and we sell our brand, but we also supplemented with other brands that we like and find synergy with. And we sell a ton of candles, a ton of candles, other brands. People love candles. So I met with a customer and uh, I was wanting to, in parallel, like help, help the refugee community here. I, you know, the whole Middle Eastern refugee crisis is, I think, it's so shameful on humanity. So I'm like, what do I do? I got to do something little. And uh, charity to me is fantastic, but it's also not something that's sustainable. Like I cannot do charity long term. So then the customer that I met with, she helps refugees in this area, uh, but like pretty committed to it full time. I help them settle in, finding apartments, finding jobs, all this. So I said, how can I help? She said, the best help is to get them jobs. Yep. So then I'm thinking I can either help them put up their resumes or find jobs or online, you know, online applications, or how about I hire them? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm a business owner. We thought, you know, what would be the best way of doing that? And a lot of them are, you know, extremely capable. And sometimes English is a barrier. So hiring them at the retail store, a sales associate, some of them didn't feel comfortable. So then I'm like, how about we make things? How about we make things? And we sell a lot of candles. How about we make candles? Like, I know how to make candles. And then we thought from the branding perspective, like we didn't want to be like, okay, olive and lumens, Mediterranean lifestyle, Turkish textile products. And then, but also we do candles on the side, all refugee, like that was going to be too much confusion. Mm-hmm. So said, let's just keep them separate. So let's have a company that is dedicated to this purpose, only sold candles, really good quality candles. They're all hand poured by refugee women. And um, that worked, that worked really well. There's no brand confusion, you know, but Olive and Loom does what Olive and Loom does. And now we have a bigger team that we can dedicate to each brand so that I feel like I'm kind of fulfilling my homesickness and yeah. this whole bringing the Turkish goods to here uh, philosophy, as well as wanting to help my local community and women specifically in that local community gain employment and skills. I'm going to take a quick break from my chat with Farzan to thank our partner of the show, and that is Demath. Now, speaking of stories behind brands that change the world, I want to share with you one of these ethical fashion brands that I love so much, and that is De Mains. Now in French, De Mains means two hands. Why two hands? Because everything they create is made by trained artisans who use their two hands to make their life better while crafting beautiful products. Truly, this is a company that has set out to change lives and make a positive impact in the world. And it all started when the founder, Julie, wanted to create dignified jobs in Haiti, a place she was growing to love. And that was exploding with creativity. She wanted to share this talent with the world. Julie set up an educational program to train people with artisan skills and then went on to build a factory that operates 100% on solar energy. Demat now employs more than 40 artisans that handcraft 
premium leather goods, jewelry, and sandals. Their lives are forever changed by their craft. And what's cool is their products also incorporate an eco-friendly twist, working with responsibly sourced materials and repurposed inner tube and tires in their designs. When you buy from Demet, you get to be a part of a movement that is making a difference in the world while adding an incredibly well-made piece to your closet that supports conscious living. You can discover their products online at Demet.com. That's spelled D-E-U-X. M-A-I-N-S dot com and use the code Molly for 15% off your order. Now back to my conversation with Frazan. You bring up such a really important point that we talk about all the time here on the show. And that is just the importance of seeing people and especially seeing communities in that, that, are struggling or or just need are in need. And instead of thinking like, oh, well, how can I donate to these communities? It's like, no, no, no. Like, how can I create an opportunity for them to earn a dignified living wage that gives them the opportunity to provide for their families? And and that's something that I think can't be said enough is just the, this desire and this need um that we all have, whether we live here in the U.S., whether we are from the Middle East, whether we're from China or Africa or Australia, or you're a penguin in Antarctica, like you want to take care of your family and you don't want a handout. You don't want to be able to um, or to feel like you're just receiving charity and charity. I'm not saying that charity is all bad, but um, to be able to to create an opportunity for people to to do what they love to do is just so invaluable. So I, my question is, is that as you began this venture into, you know, you started Olive and Loom and then you began kind of this almost sister brand, so to speak, in Kin and Care, what were some of the things that maybe you went into launching this brand initially that you thought one thing and then you got into it and went, okay, actually maybe we need to do this a little differently, or maybe we need to approach this differently. Did you learn anything in that early, in that early process? Right. So um, I often think I can do, I mean, I think many, many women think that, right. So it's nothing unique to me, but I always think that I can do more. Like, Mm, yeah, uh, I definitely underestimated how hard it was going to be to run two brands. Um, So now looking back from the beginning, I would have made some organizational structures differently to run both simultaneously and kind of get them to, to their potential faster. So that, that was one thing. The other was getting the message across, the, especially for kin and care, getting the message across in a very clear, concise way. And that is, it's not a charity brand. Yeah. When you say made by refugee women, it's obvious that, to me, it was obvious that I'm employing these people and they're making the candles, right? right. We would get questions like, do you pay them? And I'm like, what do you, yeah, of course I pay them. What do you mean? Like, so there is, uh, now looking back, like we have now a lot of marketing materials that explain the mission, that how we do it, you know. But there was no way of me understanding the potential questions in people's heads and answering them from the get-go. So I, I think maybe... I mean, looking back, would I undo or redo many things? Probably not because it's a learning experience, right? Like I cannot, until I put a product in front of you, 
I have no way of knowing what kind of questions or comments you're going to have about that product. So we had to have, have that feedback loop to modify and improve the things. But that, that would be one element. What would you say to people who might maybe have misconceptions about the refugee community? Mm-hmm. Um, just in your work with uh, these incredible women, um, what would maybe you say to women or men who have some just preconceived notions or misconceptions about working with the refugee community? I think we have that misconception towards immigrants too. You know, Mm -hmm. like when somebody talks with an accent or doesn't have, uh, is not very fluent in the language, that maybe is uh, conceived as they're lesser or less intelligent Mm -hmm. than the native speakers, right? Because language is fluency, it's important, but that's obviously not true. Yeah. my, mine included. It's it's our second language, yeah. right? So it's not because we're less intelligent or think with a different accent. We think the same. We just talk with an accent or yeah. have a hard time finding the right words. So these these people that I'm working with, I mean, in their own countries, some of them own their own business, like factories. Some of them were lawyers. Some of them were doctors. Like these are very highly educated and highly capable people but they might not be very good at in English. So now yeah. here the, they have to take a job. They have to feed their family, right? So then they cannot be picky and they take the opportunities that come their way. And, you know, like when you become a janitor, now that kind of set your career path. Now you're going to build up on top of that to get to where you want to be. Mm. So I think, I think the biggest misconception is that these people are less intelligent or less capable or less hardworking. And that is... Couldn't that be is further the, from the truth. Yeah, absolutely. I often think if there was a war here today and to save my family, I just put my belongings in a suitcase and go wherever. How would I want to be treated Hmm. with all these things that I've done in my in my like all these accomplishments? Right. You know, I'm educated and, you know, I had a good job and I I have my own business, but none of that matters. All I have is in a suitcase and now I'm in another country. How would I want to be treated? That's often how I think. And that's how I try to treat that community. Mm. That's such a good way to illustrate it and something that I think we should all think about. Um, and it is something that I, my husband and I have had those conversations about, like, what if something happened and like we were yeah. to just we were given hours notice and we had to like grab our kids and our stuff and leave our dogs, you know what I mean? Like what I mean, and just go, what would we do? And um and how would we, you know, want others, you know, to treat us and, and we feel called to to treat others that we come across the way that we would want to be treated and um, just kind of basic golden rule. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. So for people that maybe are not familiar with Olive and Loom, they're not familiar with Kin and Care, but they're just, they really want to connect more with what you're doing. They want to obviously shop the beautiful products, incredible candles, all those things. How can people best do that? Okay. So Olive and Loom, you can obviously go to our website, oliveandloom.com. We have truly beautiful home textile products, gift, home, lifestyle, uh, whatever works for you. And we really take pride in working with artisanal, small scale manufacturers uh, we have certifications with every manufacturer that it's fair trade. All those manufacturers we work with in Turkey are getting paid fair wages. 
there's no, you know, like child labor and, you know, they all have ins- health insurance and yeah. fair wages and all of that. So we take pride in working with fair trade manufacturers. We have really reasonable price points for the quality of the products that you're going to get. Our e-commerce and then, you know, we have a store in Rockville, Maryland. Follow us on Instagram at olivenloom.com and you can, you know, shop through that too. And for Kin and Care, it's kinandcare.com and it's all soy wax candles hand poured by refugee women. It's very small batch and uh, we don't use any harmful, uh, like, you know, our wicks are cotton, our uh, wax is soy and our fragrances are phthalate free, all that. So we, we call ourselves good candle, good cause. And uh, yeah. I love that. I love that so much. Well, let me just say that as somebody who has like browsed all of your things online, everything is just beautiful. And I'm just like, take my money right now. Just <laughs> um, So yeah, for everybody that is listening, we will make sure to have all of the links for all of that in the show notes. Uh, but for Zahn, before we transition, uh, this is the end of the show where I ask some just kind of fun get to know you questions. So uh, for Zahn, are you ready for the get to know you round? Yes. All right. Question number one. If you could win a medal for any sport, whether it's real or fake, what would it be? Oh, tennis. Tennis. Oh, I like it. Well, I played tennis, uh, you know, through college, not professionally. I so, so, so badly wanted to be a professional tennis player. I just... (laughs) So I would love to win a medal for that. I love that. Um, You mentioned this earlier, just that feeling of homesickness for Turkey. What is maybe one of the the things that you miss most about living in Turkey? Food. The Uh, food. uh, Okay. So what would be your favorite Turkish dish? Ooh, Iskander kebab. So it's like thinly sliced euros, like uh, pitas cut in cubes at the bottom of the plate mm. and then gyros layered on top and then there's tomato sauce and then melted butter on top and then like a yogurt on the side that is heaven oh okay <laughs> like now i'm really really hungry i we know have, right um, yeah there's a uh, a restaurant here in the area called mediterranean deli okay um that has some of the most incredible kind of um because i think the owner is from turkey but then he also has a business partner um, that's from another part of the Mediterranean, but I don't remember exactly where, but he had like, has a lot of uh, those kind of dishes. And so now just you talking about it, I'm like, maybe I need to get Medelli for lunch today. Um, So good. So, 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 so good. Okay. What was the best vacation you have ever taken? We did like, uh, my sister was in graduate school in Paris uh, years, years ago before I had kids. So then my husband and I went to Paris, stayed with her. She showed us all the parts, locals know. And then after that, we went to Turkey, we went to a beach town and then we had another vacation there. So that was probably, that was very remarkable. Mm, That sounds heavenly. I think now that we're starting to see, I feel like the world begin to open back up again. I'm just like, I have, I have wanderlust (laughs) thinking about like, where can I travel? Um, Okay. What is something that I would never guess about you? Oh boy. Well, you're a tennis player. You worked at NASA. I I have a pretty foul mouth. (laughs) I I would not guess that. I would not guess that. I'm really good at cussing in English. (laughs) I love 
it. I love it. See, if I like if if English was not my first language, I would totally cuss in my like native language because I'd be like, people won't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I want people to know. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, I will admit that I am a recovering. I'm fully honest that I'm a recovering cusser. I used to cuss yeah. all the time. I had uh, a very, uh, I would cuss like a sailor. Let's just be honest. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. and I'm, 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 I'm in recovery. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, okay. And then my last question is, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Ooh, it very fulfilling mm. it's so so fulfilling it's um as we get orders and we get into big stores and all i do is like run to to my team and i'm like we have we have more orders and it's it's don't even think about money aspect of it and i'm like how many more hours i can give and how many more women i can hire and it's just really fulfilling yeah. that's that's all i can say mm. Well, Farzan, thank you for everything uh, that you're doing and for the way that you're bringing just these beautiful goods to the marketplace, the way that you're creating opportunities for refugee women here in America and just uh, for everything. So this is such a fun conversation. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Molly. It was really, really fun. Thank you. I would love to know what you loved about this episode or if there was something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use the hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Another thank you to our partner of the show, Mama Suds. Don't forget to use that code Molly for 15% off and shop at mamasuds.com. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are quite literally changing the world with their business. And if you're a regular listener, thank you for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe or follow button to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.